Hey there, sis, and welcome to Tech Girls Cast, the podcast that is designed to empower aspiring female technologists to make their mark in the tech industry without getting lost in the process. My name is Jacqueline Corley, and I've been in the tech world for over 10 years, so I know what works and doesn't work when it comes to making your tech transition as smooth as possible. Join me every Wednesday as I give you my best tips and advice to make your transition into the tech world the best that it could possibly be. I'm so thankful that you are here and I cannot wait to go on this journey with you. Let's do this, sis. Welcome back to Tech Girls Cast. I am so excited for this week's episode. If you have been following along with the episodes from the last few weeks, you know that we are in a mini series called Men in Tech Empowering Women, where we have had men from the tech industry who love giving tech advice, but also have some amazing advice for women who are breaking into tech. And so my very special guest this week is Simon. Barker of All the Code. So, Simon, welcome to the podcast this week. Yeah, hi. Thanks for having me. I'm uh, I'm excited to uh, to to be here and to uh, to talk about uh, a really important topic, really. So, uh, yeah, it's it's something that's near and dear to my heart. My wife is uh, is an engineer in a in a male dominated world, so I've um, heard lots of stories and had to kind of bite my tongue on things and, and help her deal with stuff. So, uh, yeah, this is uh, this is something that I uh, I definitely care about. Awesome. Great. Well, Simon, could you tell everyone who's listening a little more about you, what you did and some of the career aspirations that you have in tech now? Yeah, sure. So I've got a bit of a varied background. Um, I did a bachelor's and a PhD in electrical engineering. Then from that, that's when I taught myself to code. So on my PhD, I needed to control some devices in our lab and they weren't going to code themselves and as part of doing a phd you've got to work it out and get stuff working so taught myself to code by doing cs50.net which was oh god at this point it was nearly 15 years ago um that i took that uh so yeah you can you can work out how hard i am from that if you like and um and then yeah from there i ran my own business for about eight nine years um i wrote a lot of code for that business and then moved into being a professional software developer uh, when I shut that business down in 2019. Since then, I've been at a few places. Uh, I've worked in a retailer for writing software for their big warehouse. I then worked at a data science consultancy. And then I've literally just off the other day finished at an edutech startup, um, sort of full cloud serverless uh, type situation. And all the way through the last kind of two years, I've been running the All The Code Instagram account to basically help people get into tech work out what this weird career um, path is all about and, and sort of get across to people that you don't have to just go and do a computer science degree and to get a tech job, you can come in from a number of different angles, uh, walks of life and, and backgrounds because the industry is growing so fast that um, employers are very open to employing people from all different backgrounds, which is which is fantastic. But the message doesn't always kind of come across. And so that is what I'm now sort of dedicating my time 
full-time to is helping people go from knowing how to code to knowing how to code and having that first um, first job. So that's, uh, yeah, that's kind of me in a, in a nutshell. That's such amazing work. And we definitely need more people like yourself who are showing people how to get these first jobs, because I believe sometimes these first jobs can be the hardest part. And so when you look and you see all these different people who are getting their jobs and they're just excelling in their tech career it's like but how did you start and so let's go ahead and start there i know that i actually recently had an episode on here where i talked about how to get started in tech so i want to ask you though simon what would be some of your advice on someone who's wanting to become a coder specifically and where should they begin cool yeah so if you look at someone like jordan barrand he made the decision when he was, I guess it would have been 19, um, where he was basically looking at, do I want to go to university? Do I want to saddle myself with 50, 60, 75,000 pounds worth of debt to be a software developer? Or can I teach myself how to do it without having to uh, take on that amount of money? So he, that's what he did. He looked at YouTube and he's like, okay, these are the things that I need to learn. Uh, he supported himself by uh, working as a waiter. And so he basically freed up sort of three to four um, hours a day where he could focus on that. You know, he created that space in his life so that he could study on his own terms without having to rack up huge amounts of debt and also um, supporting himself through a job that, you know, long term, he didn't want to keep, but it could be a springboard for him to the career that he wanted. And he got that done in about 18 months, uh, felt that he was ready to start um, applying for jobs, which he did. And from the moment he placed his first application, he had a job offer in hand six weeks later which is pretty phenomenal considering that he was kind of self-taught uh, there will be gaps in his knowledge i think all self-taught developers myself included we have gaps in our knowledge because we didn't spend three four years studying computer science at university but we also tend to focus more on the vocational and practical sides of um, of the kind of programming world. So when we kind of come into the job, while we might not immediately know how to traverse a binary tree, we do know how to spin up an express node server and, and get an API running and, and that kind of thing. Um, so that's, I think, if you're looking from the perspective of your first job and deciding what your career is going to be. The much harder one is what do you do if you have already got a job, got a career, got a work history behind you, because depending on what you do, uh, there will almost certainly be a pay drop for that initial uh, software uh, developer role, particularly in the UK and Europe. It might not be quite the same in the US. The salaries do seem to be significantly higher um, in, in the US. So I, I don't know how the salary would compare. Um, but if, you know, if you've been working as an accountant, maybe, um, or, a, or a lawyer or, or you know, if you take someone like developer Adam from Instagram he was a postman for 12 years taught himself how to code and has now landed a, a junior developer job so in, in that scenario you need to again decide how you're going to fit learning to code around your life and I think in that scenario kind of a guided platform where you are taken through a specific path to learning to code and to getting a career is probably the best thing because you only have a certain amount of time each day. If your life is significantly more complicated as it is with adults compared to somebody in their late teens, 
Um, you know, you've only got a certain amount of time that you can commit to each day and you really need to make sure that you are using that time as effectively as possible. And when you're coming to this industry for the first time, it is confusing, it is daunting. I mean, I always use the example that when I was first learning to code, I Googled what's the difference between a blog and a website. At the time, I had no idea. It looked like they were different, but they're not. A blog is just a type of website with some software running on it. Um, but to me, at that time, I had no idea what the difference was. And I, I think determining that difference, I mean, we're talking back in the mid mid 2000s um you know it took a very long time for me to work out oh actually no these are the same thing so you don't want to waste time on on things like that when you can go to a platform and take a course on udemy or uh, code academy or zero to mastery one of those types of places so that you can be guided from where you are now to where you want to go um you should um, you know, potentially you can probably afford to pay a little bit. You don't want to pay for a, a full boot camp, most likely, um, because some of those can be extremely expensive. Um, however, if you if you're um thinking about investing three to six months in, in learning to code, then paying a subscription fee of kind of fifty dollars to a hundred dollars a month will significantly cut down the amount of time that you're going to spend uh, trying to work out what it is you even need to learn. So if I was to restart and learn to code mid-career, I, I would look to one of those platforms that kind of guide you with a very specific goal in mind, which is being a web developer or being an iOS developer. And remember, once you've learned your first programming language, you can very easily, and we all do, learn a second and third. So if it turns out you learned JavaScript, and actually, do you know what? You'd much rather be an Android developer and learn Kotlin to do that and Java. Well, you know, now you've got the basics under your belt. That wasn't wasted time. You can now easily apply yourself to learning how to be a developer uh, in another field. So don't ever think that you're concerned about making the wrong choice um, and sort of hopping between languages. It's much more important to just learn the concepts of programming with a language. And if it turns out it wasn't quite the right language, well, that's fine because you still learn how to code and, and that's the primary um, hurdle to, to overcome. So I think they're probably the two approaches that I would um, put people into sort of camp-wise as to uh, how they're going to go into coding. Such great advice. And I love that you gave all of that. And the interesting how you talked about, you know, there may be gaps in learning if you don't go to university. But I love the way that you put that because I think it's a very good distinction of, you know, how you actually need to go about the vocational route versus, you know, going to get a computer science degree. But I did want to ask this question, though, because uh, you and I both have gone to university. I do have computer science degrees. I have a couple. And I know you've gotten your PhD. And so what would you say would be a reason for someone to get some sort of computing or tech degree versus going the coding boot camp route? Um, is there still, you know, a reason for someone to get a degree? And, and what would that be if so? Yeah, 100%. And I think it's a really valid question to ask yourself before making the decision to go to university. Um, I'm not entirely sure what it's like in other parts of the world, but in the UK, there has been an enormous drive to push 
students to university who shouldn't necessarily need to go to university. They could go to other forms of um, early stage work, education and training. And uh, there's a cynical aspect of me that, that thinks that it's probably because it positively impacts the unemployment statistics for the 18 to 22 year old um, segment of the population. But you know, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a statistician in, uh, in that part of the government, so I couldn't say for certain. However, there is a place for university and there is a place for degrees, but I think people need to remember the purpose of universities. I think one of the biggest criticisms that I've heard of universities for you know, uh, over a decade is that they don't teach what industry needs to know, which is complete poppycock because universities spend an enormous amount of time making sure that they are teaching relevant skills. The thing that universities aren't is they are not corporate training grounds. They have never been corporate training grounds and they should not ever try to be corporate training grounds. You look at job specs now and you see junior developer and you read it and it looks like a one person IT department. You know, they want everything under the sun. Entry level junior, three years experience, Kubernetes, React. 14 other skills they want people to hit the ground running well, whatever happens to someone being trainable or teachable yeah that's what we used to think about 15 20 years ago is bringing somebody in to be to be taught to be trained to be brought into the job and so that's why there's this backlash of you at universities to say you're not teaching what industry needs to know well it's very hard to keep up with what industry needs particularly in tech because it changes every five minutes particularly if you're in the javascript world what university gives you is a broad foundation across a variety of topics that come together to form an education that you can use to go into different um, uh, industries and different journeys. It teaches you how to learn is the primary job of university. It teaches you to question the world. Even my degree, which was very practical and very focused on engineering, still had you questioning where's technology going? What's technology's role in the world? What's best practice for engineering? Why do we have these best practices? How does that apply to other parts of the world? How does the law factor into this? How does law impact what you do as an engineer designing, in my case, power supplies and underwater vehicles and, and you know, those kinds of things, the, the electronics aspect. And that's what you're not going to get from a boot camp. A boot camp is very much what you could think of as a, as a trade school. Um, and there is absolutely nothing wrong with that at all. You know, people go into plumbing, they go into being an electrician and they go through their apprenticeship. They, they do a couple of days a week in what we call college here in the UK, uh, which will again be more focused on the task at hand. What they won't get taught is necessarily the whys and wherefores of the gas in the system should be this pressure and this is why these things are limited to these amps. They're more focused on the application of something that already exists, whereas university is designed to make you think about why that thing exists and maybe question if something should exist like that moving forwards. So if you want to get into the workforce as quickly as possible, if you are not particularly interested in uh, learning for the sake of learning, which I think is sometimes what university can feel like, then 100% go the, the bootcamp route, go the self-taught route. And if you don't have the uh, access to uh, what is sadly becoming an expensive form of education, then perhaps that is the route to go as well. 
fortunately, if you go that route and you land up in tech, you're going to have a very good salary. You can always go back in later life as a, what we call in the uh, UK a mature student and you can go back to university and you can get that university education and experience then to develop your career further. Um, so I think that's the two distinctions. Neither is better or worse. It simply comes down to how your brain works, what you want from that point in your life and what the most important goal is. You know, I was I was fortunate that I was able to enjoy university, do well at it, and, and I was I went before all of the tuition fees um, went through the roof. Um, so it was it was pretty affordable for me. Um, so I think I think they're the sorts of things that you should be weighing up uh, when you're considering the two. Both have value. It's just a different type of value. That's so good. And I love that distinction. And really what I've gained from that is really deciding what would be the best for you. And I love that you also mentioned that even if you do go the vocational coding boot camp route, you really feel like you want to go back and get the university education. It's never too late. I think that one of the fears that a lot of people have just in general is, well, can I actually go back and get a college degree even though I went the boot camp route? And so I think think really there's a time and a place for either. And as we know, sometimes not everyone is in a position to go to university at the time most people consider it. You know, most people consider it, you know, after high school and things like that. And so everyone has different paths and different, you know, lifestyles. So don't feel, of course, that if you don't have the opportunity to go to university, that there's nothing else out there for you. There's plenty of options. Uh, back when I was learning to code, there was only college or self-taught. And so now I am so thankful that there are so many other routes and other paths to do so. So thank you for sharing that, Simon. Yeah, 100%. I, I, I sort of, I, I was in the same position of, of looking back, you know, it was, those they were the two options, you know, it was either learning it at university or somehow learn it yourself. But I mean, when I was making the decision to go to university back then, the learn it yourself route was big, chunky textbooks and maybe a nice, an IRC channel online, you know, there was no stack. I, I mean, I remember coding before stack overflow. Um, so it was a very different world back then. YouTube hadn't even, um, stuff been founded either. So yeah, the, uh, the internet was uh, what was it that democratizes information and I think the ability to teach yourself to code to gain access to such a lucrative career path is, is probably the uh, the best example of that in my view yes so very true and I remember having um, the big textbooks as well and you know some people really just have a difficult time learning from that I remember when I was in university and we had those textbooks sometimes it was a little difficult um, and thankfully I was able to kind of learn how to do that as I you know continued to stay in university but sometimes you know textbooks really aren't aren't the best way for everyone. But if you do, for some reason, feel like textbooks are a good way for you to learn, um, I do have advice on that. Um, I actually did a video on my Instagram some months back, I believe, about it. And I definitely believe I would bring it to the podcast as well, because it, there is still a way for you to learn with textbooks, but I think there's a specific way of doing so. And so definitely exploring all these other options though, too, I think really just gives some variety to it as well. So now I want to shift to 
as we know, this is women um, being empowered by men in this mini series. And I know you mentioned that your wife is an engineer, correct? Uh, yeah, she is. She works in uh, automotive uh, engineering. She has a, a joint PhD in electrical engineering and neuroscience of all things. And that took her into the automotive sector, starting in manufacturing. So uh, I think she was the only female um, at the plant she was working at going down onto the production line. Wow, that is so great. And kudos to her. I think I definitely would want to <laughs> speak with her as well. But the question I really want to ask here is, what, some, what are some of the challenges that your wife went through as being, um, you know, of course, the only woman in her area where she was working at that time and just being a woman in tech and how did you empower her through those things? Yeah, so I think it's a tricky line to walk, um, particularly because on the one hand, um, she wants to get the job done. She wants, she is, you know, more than capable of doing that. She um, rightfully is and wants to be seen to be as competent as, as anybody else in that role, uh, be them male, female or otherwise. It's, it's, it's sort of looking at her abilities as an individual. Um, the company that she first went to work for were very cognizant of the fact that she was going to be pretty much the first uh, female going down onto the production line on a regular basis. Um, they made sure that the guys took down the calendars that they had up of, you know, um, bikini clad models and, and that kind of thing and, and on the one hand she appreciated that because it showed that they cared but on the other she didn't appreciate it because it also meant that before she had arrived she'd already had an impact on their workplace and it was only a detrimental impact at that point she hadn't had the opportunity to show I am competent I am smart I know how to do this job just as well as anybody else here so she kind of came in feeling like she was kind of on the back foot now rightly or wrongly whether those people should or should not have been grumpy that they've been told to take their calendars down she still felt from day one that yes I'm being supported from a corporate point of view but it's in a way that has potentially tainted the relationship before it's even started and I'll be honest I don't really have good answers to those kinds of, of tricky questions she has a very thick skin we both went we met by going to a military boarding school um, in the UK we both had fully paid up places at uh, Sandhurst um, for officer training if we wanted to take them on after university we both chose not to in the end so she and again at that military boarding school it was a year of a, it was a, a group of a hundred um, in each year and, and 15 of those were girls and, and well, the remaining 85 were, were boys all in kind of what, 16 to 18 years old. So again, and that's with a military aspect to it, again, she, she came up in a place that was male dominated, all pre-selected for um, army officer um, leadership potential with a technical um lean to them so you can imagine it was basically 100 type a personalities who were all trying to prove um how good they were um, so that was that was quite a um a baptism of fire so she's always had a, a very thick skin in that regard and, and fortunately she has managed to navigate her career um well uh, and not let comments um hurt her um i think it's more when something has happened. And, and to be fair, it, it has been few and far between. I can only really think of one 
proper issue that she's ever had where she was being called princess um, by uh, a chap in his late 50s. He was, interestingly, he was using the term princess. He thought he was being, I guess, um, nice when in reality every time he used the word princess he probably got a little rush of power or whatever um but she had a very good working relationship with that person and she was one of the few that did have a good working relationship with the person because he was fundamentally an absolute pain in the backside to everybody he was also a bit of a misogynist so it was a case of looking at him and saying well yeah you are being a bit misogynist here but you know what you're also just a bit of a pain to everybody. So I'm not taking this personally. This is just the person you are. And I have a good working relationship with you, which is beneficial to me at the moment. And so she kind of leveraged that. In the end, it was one of the other members of staff um, overheard him calling her princess and, and he took it um, up the up the chain a bit um, so that, that it was dealt with so that she didn't have to step in and do that herself. From a, what support did I give her at that time? I, I just... I was just somebody that she could talk to about it and, and sort of reason through, was she okay making the decision to let that slide for her sort of um, better day-to-day -day working? Um, she felt like she should raise it and she should be bothered, but at the same time, she wasn't all that bothered because she just wrote it up to him specifically being a bit of a pain rather than it being an issue that she was uh, a female in that male-dominated environment. Um, you know, she she worked through it and it was fine. And, you know, she, he, I think he apologized and stopped. Um, I don't think he ever necessarily realized why calling somebody 30 years his junior in the workplace princess was an issue. But again, that's a generational issue in that regard. Um, so, so yeah, but then the second company that she went to um, was, uh, had significantly more women in uh, engineering and leadership roles still an automotive and that gave her people to see ahead of her so one of the issues she had at the other place is that there was only one woman in a um, sort of high-powered position and all of the rest uh, of the women in the workforce were either in HR um, and where it was um, as it typically is much more diverse whereas in the engineering and manufacturing side she was like there's one person and then everybody else, all the other women are at my same level. There is no future for me here. So we moved 200 miles to a different company. And when she went into that workplace, she was like, okay, there are still minority women because um, that's the industry. But there are much more women in power in places of power in this company all the way up to board level so it gave her the understanding that actually do you know what this is somewhere that i can progress this is somewhere that i can make an impact and be valued and it gave her a huge amount of confidence to be able to just do the job really well and know that she wasn't or didn't feel like she was fighting an uphill battle because she was a woman um in in tech or i suppose in tech in in engineering in this case um so that's that's kind of how she dealt with it I, I don't necessarily know if there is anything to kind of really take away in that regard because the best thing i could do at that time was remember that i'm her husband i'm not her colleague i'm not her advocate i am not somebody to go out and defend her um, unless we were both walking down the street and physically got attacked um I am someone who is there to share a life with her, to build our life together and understand what is important to us and where we want to go. So it's definitely a fine line because yeah, I get angry on her behalf, 
but me getting angry on her behalf doesn't necessarily help her. So I have to walk a fine line there between sympathizing and empathizing and understanding what she's going through without trying to solve her problem. And I'm a problem solver. I love solving problems. And so I need to really make sure that I don't try and solve her problems for her because ultimately they're her problems. And if she needs help, she knows how to go about asking for that help and, and finding ways. Um, so I hope that is helpful. I'm not sure if I've given the best answer possible, but it is probably the most honest answer I could give. Oh, goodness, Simon. Wow. I honestly can't believe you said that because I feel like there's so much to take away from that. And I have like three questions in my head that now I want to ask, but I'll probably just go ahead and comment on, on some of the things that stood out to me. But first of all, I loved that you mentioned you understood your role in her life. And I think that's very important because um, whenever we deal with situations like this or really any situation, I think it's important to understand our reactions and what they should and shouldn't be. But also, I love that you were able to talk with her as well to kind of help her determine if, you know, the issue that she did have with being called princess was something to really raise or not. Because I think sometimes we can have this idea that if there's anything that someone says, it should be raised all the time, or it is always an issue of being a woman in tech or being a woman in engineering or STEM in general. And so really being able to identify which of those cases should really be raised and which of those should just maybe not be or just ignored and, and move right along, I think is very important. But also to the fact that your wife has kind of always had that backbone of, of confidence in herself is amazing as well. And so I actually have three questions. I don't know if they'll be short answers. But um, the first one, yeah, go on. I'll try, I'll try and keep it short. Yeah. <laughs> well, the first one that I wanted to ask as well is what have you seen um, your wife do or just what have you seen in her that has just always allowed her to have that kind of backbone? Because I think that's something that, you know, either women in general or even women in tech um, have a biggest question about. So what would you say that would be? I just think it's an unwavering belief in her own abilities. She has always been able to overcome the problem in front of her. And that is something that was trained into us at the military college that we went to, uh, because that is your job as, a, as an officer is to solve problems in front of you. And her thing is, I will solve that problem. I know how to solve that problem. And if I don't know now, I can find the person who can, I can find out how to do that. And kind of the rest of it just falls by the wayside because that's what she is there to do. She's there to solve the problem. She's there to get the job done and she knows she can do it. I, I don't think I've ever seen her have imposter syndrome. Um, maybe that's because of the roles that she's been in or just her personality. She's like, yeah, of course I can do this. I'm just going to get on and do it. And therefore she does it. So that I think is where it comes from is, is that strong confidence in her own ability. Um, and also I think we, as humans, we have the tendency to, uh, I can't remember what the, the, the sort of true, um, word is here but we always magnify the downsides of things and, and often the worst does happen but we are always really good at imagining far worse things happening than what actually happens and she's like do you know what something goes wrong here it's not going to be as bad as it could be 
and then I'll just deal with that problem when it comes up. Nine times out of 10, something bad doesn't happen. And the one time out of 10 that it does, she's like, oh, well, guess what? It wasn't as bad as it could have been. So let's move on and work out why that car landed up in Amsterdam when it should have gone to Northern Spain or whatever. Um, so, you know, that's, that's what I've seen in her is just real confidence. Man, that's so good. And I, I hear it ringing loud and strong that just having confidence in her own abilities has really helped her through and really helped her understand that her mission for why she's there with the company is important and that she has the ability to be able to carry that out. And I think it's so important that really women or anyone just understands that no matter where they are, which whichever position that they're in, there's a mission that that company wants to carry out. And they would not have hired you if they felt that you were not a, a fit for the role or fit for the company mission. And I think a lot of companies are really becoming more mission driven today, probably than they were before. And so I think really knowing that the abilities that you have and being able to develop as you are trying to get into the industry is really going to impact someone. And so having that confidence in your skills is really going to be great. I think a good part of that can come into, like you said there, with company culture. So the first place that I worked as a developer professionally after I shut the business down was actually a, um, a high street retailer in the UK that sold um, ladies lingerie. Um, so it's a company called Bravissimo. They do actually have a store in New York now. Um, and they specifically focused on um, the, the UK market is very underserved for um, plus sized cup Um uh, sizes and that was when they were founded 30 years ago that was their primary focus and unsurprisingly it is a company of primarily women because many of the roles particularly if you think about stores and customer service they're just, just not appropriate for a man to work in that role um, you know there were no male staff in the stores again understandable because they do bra fittings there were no male staff on the customer service lines because again they were talking about something you know quite intimate um, funnily enough, the one place in the company where there were a lot of men that worked was in the IT department. Um, however, the IT department was also 50% women and 50% men, and that was true across the developers as well. And what I saw in that team and what that company did is that company empowered its staff to take initiative to solve problems and failure wasn't punished and failure wasn't paraded around the company. It was discussed. This is a team failure. What went wrong? How do we fix this? And it gave everybody, not just the female developers, but also the male developers to say, okay, we are a team. We are here to solve problems. And we all had a supreme confidence in our abilities and our ability to solve what was in front of us. And it was a rickety um uh, well, I said rickety is probably unfair. It's a very large and established IT infrastructure. They were very early to e-commerce. There was a SQL stored procedure in there that was 22 years old um, and had, I think it was 1,700 lines of code. Some of those lines of code hadn't changed in 17 years. So that gives you an idea of the kind of breadth and depth of this IT infrastructure. And there were only 24 people in the IT department, 12 men, 12 women pretty much. Um, and, you know, we all banded together as a team and we were given confidence by the way that that company was set up to encourage us to work well, believe in ourselves and whatever the worst that could happen, it's not going to be that bad and we'll just solve it when it happens. So uh, that was something that I took away from that company um, most definitely. 
Yes, for sure. Definitely agree. Company culture also plays into that. And um, just know, ladies, that your skills that you are developing are literally going to be so, so, so needed for wherever it is that you end up. So love, love, love all of that. And my next question I have for you is the idea of really knowing when to raise certain issues. And so when you were talking to your wife about this princess deal, um, how were you guys able to determine whether that was something that should be raised or something that should, you know, just kind of ignore? Um, And what advice would you have to women or anyone to be able to recognize when they should be able to raise an issue? So I think this is a really great question because it goes to more than just whether it's a sort of specific gender-based issue. I think all of us have these kinds of issues in work. You have frictions in the workplace. You know, this is why communication skills and team building is so, so important and so difficult to get right because people, you know, you get three people in a room, you're going to get five different opinions on things and you're going to get different interactions and people get annoyed about different things. And you need to determine what is something that is just part of everyday work and what is something that actually, no, do you know what, this is a real issue for me. And that's the tricky bit is it's what is an issue for you because nobody can tell you how you should feel about something. There is absolutely no um, way that another person can look inside your mind and say, this is how you feel about what just happened and this is why you should feel like that. You know, somebody could walk up to me in the street and, you know, punch me in the face. It's not going to happen. And actually, I could, for whatever bizarre reason, decide I'm okay with that. Now, it's very, very highly unlikely, but it's your own individual reaction to something. And so how you react and how you feel, you need to really kind of know yourself and know what's important and what are your values. And for some people, it'll be success at all cost. You know, I don't care who I upset on the way, who upsets me, what they say about me. I don't care because I am 100% here to make it to the top no matter what. And for other people, it's like, you know what, actually, that isn't what I value in life. What I value in life is collaboration. I value people feeling good, feeling confident, and understanding that we're all here as a team. Now, I think the majority of us will understand that the person in scenario A um, is, is probably not making good decisions. But ultimately, it's their decision to make and how they sleep at night and how they feel. Now, I've, I've chosen, you know, two I would say I've chosen one quite extreme version there, and then I've chosen what I think most of us would like to um, consider ourselves in, which is a you know, friendly, collaborative, um, considerate. You need to determine where you sit on that spectrum and what you're okay to let slide, because actually, do you know what? It doesn't bother me that much for whatever reason. Um, or actually, no, do you know what? This is an issue. Um, and you need to determine that on a case-by-case basis, and you need to think through how does this feel Am I okay with how this feels? And do I think I need to make a change about this? And only you can really determine that. You know, even when I'm having these conversations with my wife and and when she's talking to me about issues that I've had in my life of trying to work out, you know, why don't I like this job or why am I unhappy doing this? Again, it's just a case of helping somebody work through what they feel and what they think and what they value Um, and having that awareness of yourself um, and knowing that there is no right or wrong way to react to a situation, it's incredibly difficult. And I think this is why you're seeing 
a rise of things like journaling and mental health awareness, uh, meditation, all of those kinds of things, because it's a way to put a pause in the day to say, do you know what, just have a think about what's going on and just make sure you're okay with that. So thank you so much for that answer, Simon. And really just my final question along these lines is, how do you um, just, how would you say, I guess maybe this is probably for the men who maybe listen to this, because I do have a few uh, men as well. Um, and I know that you've had various different roles um, in your tech you know, journey and, and things that you've done. And so I love when you talked about in relation to your wife that you understood um, what your role was in her life. And so what would you say to the spouses or the significant others, or maybe just men who have a, um, a superior or manager or kind of CEO role over um, some women employees? And what would you say to them in understanding how to respond to them in those situations, you know, when they have a certain role over them, if that makes sense? <laughs> so, um, so, yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, you've covered a lot of ground in that question, and I'm going to segment it out slightly. So if we, I, I had some great sales training back when I used to run my business, and the sales chap that, that trained us, he, um, he used to talk about the different types of relationship that you would see, specifically in sales. And he would talk about a parent-child relationship and a adult adult relationship or an adult child relationship and an adult adult relationship and and i think what this comes to is that particularly in corporates culture it, i mean we talk about democracy and voting and, and all that kind of thing for our nations and countries and then you look at a company and it's basically a feudal system because it's very hierarchical there is one person who can decide the uh, the direction of everything and the only recourse that most people have is to, to kind of quit and maybe if the company is big enough and depending on the country you're in you might be able to unionize and, and make a change so if we separate these two out is is if you're a spouse or a, a relative the first thing is communication if in doubt just ask so many men are terrible at asking just you know what you're not a mind reader and this is something that I think men and women have complained about with each other in relationships. And I'm sure um, every couple um, says the same thing, you know, be them same sex couples or, or, um, or not, is I'm not a mind reader. How was I supposed to know? So, well, ask them for both of you, but just ask. Like if someone's struggling, say to them, can I do anything to help today? What, what, do you, what do you need from me right now? Because I can just give you a hug. If that's what you want, I can just give you a hug. If you want to sit and watch the most mind-numbing TV possible, we can do that too. If you want me to get riled up and, and work through this problem with you, I can do that too. Like, Start to ask these questions because you won't need to ask them forever. You'll get a feel. You'll, you'll start to learn what that person in that adult-adult relationship needs from you. Don't always assume that your role is protector and provider or that your role is problem solver and supporter or that your role is always listen and consult. You need to know. And if you don't know, don't just try and guess because you could easily make the situation worse. I know because I've done it. You just need to ask, what do you need from me right now? Because I'll be honest, I don't know because I don't want to make the situation worse for you, but I want to be here for you because ultimately that's what we want, right? You know, we've, we've chosen to spend our lives with this person. Um, you know, we've, we've got this person in our life. We, we've mutually chosen to be there. 
So make sure it's the best experience for everybody. And, and I don't know if there is a professional term for this that a counsellor would say, oh, you're talking about X, Y, Z. But, but that's what my wife and I, we've been together for since we were 18 and I'm 34. I don't do public math, but I think that's 16 years. Um, and that's always been the cornerstone of our relationship is communication, asking questions, listening, learning and responding. So that's the first one. The second one is if you are a leader, if you are a manager, they're not always the same thing, by the way. Management and leadership do not go hand in hand. <laughs> <laughs> and sadly, people don't realize that. Um, is you have a power dynamic there that you need to be incredibly aware of and very cognizant of what that power dynamic means. And you need to understand that if you are in that um, managerial leadership role, that there will be subtext to what you say, to what you do, that will be interpreted by the people below you and also the people around you. I think it was, I listened to an interview a long time ago and I think it was Reba McIntyre, who is a relatively well-established um, country singer in the US. And she said, I am always very aware that at any given moment I am influencing somebody. And I don't mean influence in the term of sort of modern day Instagram influence. I mean, she's always aware that somebody is watching her. Somebody might be mimicking her. Somebody is learning from her. And that is true of all of us. If you're a manager, it's even more so. So remember that as a manager. Remember that your actions, what you say, what you don't say will be interpreted, will be discussed, will be talked about. So have good communication, have integrity, be honest and think before you speak. And again, if in doubt, ask. There is nothing wrong with a manager or a leader asking. Now, yes, you need to instill confidence. You need to be direct. You need to commit when you have made your mind up. But how you get to that decision, that journey you take, that can take different forms. And sometimes it might just be, guys, the database is down. And the, we had this when I worked at um, uh, my first job. The database went down and we had all the stores opening and none of them could process orders and the website was down. So we picked up the phones and we rang the stores and we told them what to do because that is what our operations director of IT told us to do. He decided that on the spot and that's what we did. But other times there are more complicated, less urgent and sometimes more important things that need to be thought through, need to be discussed and need to be... Um, consensus brought about on them. So again, ask questions, communicate, and think before you speak. And then, if you do make a mistake, just apologize. Nine times out of ten, what someone is looking for is an apology. And I know there's this whole thing of, oh, well, if you apologize, you're admitting fault. Well, guess what? You made a mistake. So admit your fault, learn from it, and move on because that is how you improve and get better. Um, it's not rocket science. It's just good communication that's open, honest, and have integrity. Would be my advice, but, you know, um, take from take from that what you will into your, your own personal dealing. So good. I don't think I could have said it any better myself. It's important, you know, for that question to be asked because, you know, there's so many situations where, you know, a response is is needed. And I think knowing your role and, and knowing, you know, whether or not you should step in or knowing under and understanding that your response is going to be taken, especially what you said about, you know, those who are in a manager role, your responses is going to be noticed by those who are in a 
lower role than you maybe. I don't want to say lower, but, you know, in a non-managerial role. And I think it's so important to understand. And so thank you for that answer was so, so good. So Simon, this has been a wonderful conversation. Any last words of advice to women trying to break into the industry or really anyone trying to break into this industry anywhere? I think for women, um, you have, and you know this, you don't need me to tell you this, but the industry is crying out for more people and the industry doesn't care what your background is, what your gender is, what your sexuality is, what your ethnicity is, because the world needs software developers and engineers. And the last thing that we need is to put people off. And so I just hope that the people that you do meet on this journey who you feel aren't supporting you, who maybe are against you for whatever reason uh, they have, it'll, it'll be a, you know, a completely pointless, meaningless reason, but they, they may have them, um, ignore them because the vast majority of us realize that this is an enormous uh, industry that is growing rapidly and we need more and more and more people and that isn't going to change. It is only going to get better um, and um, you, know, you are most, most incredibly welcome in this industry and I really shouldn't even feel like I need to say that and, and I hope I hope that isn't news to anybody. It really shouldn't be news to anybody. Um, but sadly, um, I guess maybe some of my male predecessors um, have not done the best job of getting that message across. So yeah, and to anybody that is new in general, um, it's, a, it's a great industry. It's good fun. We, we build stuff and we solve problems and we literally change the world. So uh, come join in. Yes, that, that simple. We build stuff, solve problems, and we change the world. And literally, that is something, if you don't take away anything else from this episode, know that tech is changing the world, really. Um, if you don't take away anything else, remember that you are breaking into an industry that has so much impact, especially in today's time, and know that there is a space for you no matter where you are. So thank you once again, Simon, for being on this week's episode. And if anyone wants to connect with you, how can they do that and where can they find you? Yeah, so thanks for having me. This has been uh, fabulous. Um, the best place to connect with me is on Instagram. My handle is all the code a double l t h e c o d e. Um, and yeah, just um, come and come and follow me. Ask questions. My DMs are open, um, as they say on Twitter. Um, so yeah, that's the best place to find me. All right, amazing. Well, if you listen to my podcast uh, regularly, you know how I love to go out. So thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the podcast. We will see you all in another week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Tech Girls Cast. If you'd like to leave me your personal story about how this podcast is impacting your life, please feel free to email me at podcast at techgirlscode.com or leave me a podcast review. I love hearing your stories and I can't wait to share them with those who may need to hear them as well. I look forward to all the future episodes and what I will be sharing with you. But 
Until next week, sis, I'll talk to you then.